now and then, here and there, and always at sexpotcomedy.com. Next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Wednesday of every month at the Buntport Theater in Denver, Colorado. Today's story comes from Jan Scott Fraser. Jan is a longtime veteran in the Japanese animation industry. When I say she's written the book on anime, I'm not exaggerating. Her textbooks and technical manuals have been published in eight different languages. She has been an industry guest speaker at hundreds of conventions, including this weekend at Denver Comic Con. More importantly, Jan has been telling her stories with the narrators since the very beginning, and we're always happy when she shares. Her story this week was recorded live at our fifth anniversary show on March 18th, 2015. The theme of the evening was Symbiotes, and her story was entitled The Secret Sister. When I was in elementary school, um, my father started to disappear, slowly disappear from our lives. He and my mother got married in, uh, I think it was 1960, and I dropped out of them, well, her, in 1965. So I am going to be 50 in a couple days. Woo, 50. Um, So my parents were very close-knit. They were a very tight couple. They would go out with other couples and things like this, but they were so... They they needed each other. They needed each other to survive and and to almost to think. And then I came along, and it was a little different because to to those two symbionts, there was added a parasite. And because, you know, I couldn't eat on my own yet. That would be a few more years. And... Um, I couldn't take care of myself, obviously, yet. Um, so my father didn't really know how to deal with that. He knew how to deal with the single relationship with his wife, but he wasn't so sure how to deal with this little parasite. So as I grew up, he started to get more used to me, and he would tell me things like, I always wanted to have a kid like you. I always wanted to have a kid. And we moved to Colorado in uh, 68, and he... So again, at that, at that point, when I went into elementary school, a few years later, of course, and he started to slowly disappear. He started to take longer trips. He worked for 3M, and he sold traffic control materials, like the stuff they used to make stop signs and pavement markings and all that stuff. To this day, I drive along and go, oh, that stop sign, it's slightly misaligned. You know, I, I, I have nothing to do with that. God, you should have seen me in China. Oh, what the hell? You know, um, so... He would, his territory was Colorado um, and Wyoming, and then that expanded to Utah as well. And then in the mid-70s, he added New Mexico to that. So for some reason, which I'm still not completely understanding of, we moved to Albuquerque in, uh, in the early 70s, or probably like 75, 74, somewhere in there. So... When we moved to Albuquerque, he really started to disappear. My sister was born a little bit before that. She's uh, five and a half years younger than me. So, but he started to come home less often. He would be gone for a month and a half and then come home for four days or a week or something like that. But when he would come home, 
My sister and I would get so excited. We would, we would draw stuff for him days ahead of time when he was coming. And even the dog got excited. We had this dog named Prince. And we'd go, Dad's home! Dad's home! And the dog would run around in circles because everyone loved Dad, you know? And Dad would get home, and he'd be like, okay, okay, after he dealt with all the love overpouring, he would sit down and pour himself his drink. And, you know, it's... When my sister was, oh, let's see, probably about five years old, we used to joke, you know how you play restaurant and stuff like that with your siblings? Well, your other symbionts, as it were. Um, When I would play with her, I'd say, what would you like to drink? And she'd say, double beef eater, martini on the rocks with a twist. Because that's what my dad wrote. And we had that memorized because we had heard it so many times. Um, So New Mexico slowly drifts away. Then in 79, we moved back to Denver. We lived down in Englewood. And we got this really nice house. And, you know, of course, he moved in and we were all living together. We saw him more often. And then slowly but surely, he started to drift away again. Um, So I went to, I was in the military for a brief period of time. And then I went to college for a brief period of time at the University of Wyoming. And I was back from, um, I was just there for, a, back in Denver for a weekend with my college roommate. And he, we, we were both, I was staying in my room, my old room, and he was staying in the, in the uh, guest room. And my dad called really early in the morning. I'm not a morning person. He said, I need you to meet me at this place. And he gave me an address. I want, there's somebody who I really want you to meet. And I was like, oh, okay. And I said, can I bring Jim? And he's like, no. Oh, okay, just me. So I told Jim, I was, that was my roommate, I'm like, hey, you know, I got to go do this, whatever this is. So I drove out there, and it was this apartment building at uh, Alameda and uh, Monaco. And, you know, we, we lived, uh, again, way down there. So I drove up there, and I was like, this is an apartment building. Okay, whatever. And I rang the bell for the for the number he had given me, and the door buzzed open. I had never done that. That was the first time I ever had the door buzz open in an apartment building. Ooh, thrilling. Um, <laughs> so, um, and I went up to this, this, this to this room, went up the elevator, and this woman, this dark haired woman, who was about the same age as my dad and mom, which was probably around forty eight ish. She opens the door and she's like, oh, hi, it's very good to see you. And it was like almost like she knew me, but I did not recognize this woman. So I came in and there was my dad. And he, he, this was his other family. The other symbiotes, and of course my, or symbionts, excuse me, um, my immediate reaction, first of all, was, what? You know, I had no idea. And so he's talking with her, and then she had this daughter who was a year younger than me, and he was talking to her and all this stuff, and I just, what do you say? I had no idea what to say. They hadn't, my parents had never showed any real uh, division in their marriage. I mean, there's never talk about divorce or cheating or anything like that. And I was so suddenly, here's this other group of symbionts. That, and, I, and that's not mine. I'm like, I, I am not compatible with these creatures. What the hell? My, and then after what the hell, my immediate response was to turn, I wanted to turn into a giant white blood cell and like, attack! 
back, you know, and just swallow them and degenerate them into their bones and stuff. What? You know? And so I just, that lasted for about 32 seconds, and then I shut up and I just listened. Because, again, I had no idea what to say. And he's, he's playing house, and it's like this had been going on for a long time, apparently. And so he says, hey, the, the girl's name was Candy. Why don't you take Candy for a ride? I had this Triumph TR7 that I really loved. This little wedge car. All right. And uh, so I took her out, and we're, we're driving around, and I'm calculating in my mind. I'm, I'm like, okay, let's see. If you're just 17, and I'm 18 by six months, that would make... And I'm doing the calculations, and I'm looking out of the corner of my eye at her, trying to look for features that look like my father's features. And, like, does she look like my sister? She obviously isn't going to look like our mom, but, I mean, if just the features that, that I and my sister picked up from my father. Does she have those features? I'm looking and looking. I almost got in an accident. I'm, like, kind of looking. And after a while, she's, like, kind of like, okay, you're really weird. And I'm just like... So we drove around, and... I Again, what do you talk about? So, I see you're in my father's other family. Can you tell me a little bit about that? You know, <laughs> this is not something that comes up in casual conversation. I didn't know what he told her. I didn't know what he told her about me. And I didn't know why the hell I was here. So, this goes on for a little while, and we have lunch, and I kind of eat a little bit. And then he's like, okay, see you later. And he stays there, and I leave. And I went back home. And I had no idea what to say. I couldn't say anything to my mom or my sister. I didn't really feel comfortable talking to my college roommate about it. So I just kind of kept it. And I just, I kept it and kept it. And during this time, my mother, the detective, (laughs) my mother, who has never really had much of a job in her life, she was a librarian for a little while and helped at school for a little while, she we would get his credit card bills. And at this time, there were no cell phones. So you would pick, if you wanted to make a long-distance call, say to 3M, you would pick up the phone and said, credit card call, please. And you would read off the number from your credit card, and then they would connect it all, and then that would get paid. Every time you did that, it would read on your phone number what that number was. And, or your credit card bill, excuse me, not your phone, not your phone bill. Your credit card bill. You called 303-655-3212, right? So my mother would started looking through these bills and recognized that a lot of these numbers were both going to and coming from the same number. And she's like, what is this number? So she called the number. from. And this is before we had caller ID and call waiting and stuff. So she called the number, and a woman answered. That woman, her name, the other woman's name was Eve, and her daughter's name was Candy. So... Eve answers, and she's like, hello, 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 and they kind of go back and forth with this hello thing for a little bit, and my mother doesn't know what to say, so she hangs up, and she knows something is weird, so she and her sister, they put on scarves and sunglasses and, like, I thought trench coats and these big jackets, and they go to that apartment. They, they figured out, my mom figured out where that phone number was from, that apartment, I, I don't know how. And she and her sister went over there, and they scoped the whole area. They cased the entire apartment area. And they, and they found the, the mailbox and the little buzzer button, and it had his last name on it. It had Frazier on it. And she's like, ha! So they took pictures of it, you know. And they were like, oh. And then they went out to lunch and talked about, oh, this and that and the other thing. So... My mother's not a very confrontational person. My father, however, is ex- was an extremely confrontational person. 
Um, so she was very kind of concerned about having that happen because he had a temper. He wouldn't hurt anybody, but he was very loud and angry. So she sat on it. And finally, it came to a head, and they started talking about divorce, and they had a meeting in a restaurant, the two of them, and she brought the picture. She's like, what is this? And he said, did Jan tell you about that? And she says, Jan knew about this? And oh, I was, oh my God. And Miles away, my ears were probably burning, and I was probably cringing for what, was, what I thought was going to happen. And so she was mad, and he was mad, and she came home, and she wasn't really mad at me. She was very confused, and she says, what do you know about this? And so I told her about going to the apartment and meeting Eve and meeting Candy and about how I looked at Candy and tried to you know, use my scanners and my bioscanners to try to figure out is there anything common with her biology and mine because, I mean, we have our little group of, we have our symbiosis over here, and I don't want nothing to do with these symbionts. Those are like parasitic invaders. Ew, you know. Um, so I talked to her about what I knew and then their marriage started to continue to disintegrate so some bad stuff went down and we ended up moving out to the very far edge of Aurora well it was at the time and he did not move in with us he said well I got busted for gambling so I have to spend my nights in jail the worst lie ever (laughs) really okay I mean he was definitely a gambler but what, you know, so we knew that he was staying over there. And he would come to that, our house maybe once or twice a month at most. So, our, so the, one of our symbionts is now, the mutualism of symbiosis is now gone. And he, he's still mostly the breadwinner. I was making money, my mom was making a very little bit of money, but he was still kind of the, the money guy. So we had to work him out. We were slowly working him out of our little group, our little symbiosis group. Then one day, I was working at Radio Shack at the time. Ooh, Radio Shack. Um, I was working at Radio Shack at the time. And this um, next to us was a dental clinic. And this woman, who I'd never seen before, very pretty red-haired woman, came over, and she says, you have to call the hospital. You have to call Aurora Hospital because your father's in there. He's had a heart attack, and they had to use the helicopter to take him there. I'm like, what? Who are you? Who are you? I don't know who you are. And she says, well, I'm a friend of Eve's. And she called me. So I guess rather than call Radio Shack and ask for me, she called the woman next door who came over and told me, and I'm like, okay. So I called the hospital, and sure enough, he had had a heart attack at the bar where he used to hang out, and they choppered him to Aurora. So Aurora Medical Center, I believe it was called. And I was like, oh, my God. And his voice was super harsh because they had uh, intubated him before. And um, so now I had to tell my mom. I was like, so, Mom, your still husband is in Aurora Medical Center. He had a heart attack, and he was having issues with congestive heart failure. And so she went, and my sister went to visit him, and I felt so weird and so I just didn't, if I knew, if I looked at his face, I would just, I'd want to talk about this stuff, even though he'd be super sick. And my father was a very powerful man, just very powerful uh, um, personality and presence. And uh, the thought of him being in the hospital all messed up was really frightening to me. 
So that he he went in on a Monday, and then I called him again on Wednesday, and I said, I want to visit you. And he said, no, don't visit me. Just don't come in. Don't worry about it. I'll be out of here very soon. So on Friday, I was like, I went with my best friend, and we're like, hey, we're going to go visit my dad. It's, you know, kind of in the evening. It's the, the end of visiting hours. And so we drove down to Aurora Medical Center, and blah, 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 let's talk about nerd stuff, you know, the usual thing. So we get to the hospital. We go up to the, uh, to the intensive care unit, where, which is where he was. And the... Um, the nurse came on, or the nurse at the desk said, um, who are you looking for? And we told him, or we told her, rather, and she, her attitude changed. And she says, uh, can you wait a minute? And then a doctor came, and it was the, well, we tried our best, but he died two hours ago. And it was just, what? Suddenly this giant presence, the presence that had made all of that symbiosis, all of that, who had helped make me possible, is now gone, like magic. And I, I didn't know what to do, so I was like, can I see him? And I went in there, and there was his body. He was obviously not in it, as it were. He was, his body was blue, because, you know, the lack of oxygen and stuff. And, and it was really a weird experience. And I was like, oh, my God. So I went home. I dropped my friend off, and I went home. And by then, they had already called my mom and told her. And so we just kind of sat. We were all in shock. So the next day, my mom calls them and says, okay, we, you know, we'd like to arrange for the, to, to deal with the body, and we're going to get a funeral home later today. And they said, what? The body's already been arranged for. What? What are you talking about? Well, Mrs. Frazier did it. What? My mom's like, I am Mrs. Frazier. So, and they said, well, the other Mrs. Frazier did it. So my mom has had enough. So she goes to her medical center. She lays down the law. You know, she brings that spine out and lays down the law and says, no, this is, this is my husband. We are legally married. I am dealing with this body. So when Eve came later on to take the body, because he had, over time, I pieced this together, that he had told her that my mother was this cruel person and didn't care about him and wanted nothing to do with him and and this so she thought naturally when he died my mother would want nothing to do with this which is very far from the truth they met in the hallway they met in the hallway and they knew who the other person was even without seeing each other ever they knew and they didn't really have much of a conversation it's like hi hi Okay, well, I'm, I'm, we're dealing with the body. The family is dealing with the body. And she's like, okay, I understand. And that was kind of it. And so, you know, we, we, we had the funeral and all that kind of stuff. And then that was in, um, at the end of August of 1985. And around Christmas time, we got this phone call. And on our answering machine, very quietly, in Eve's voice, was, Merry Christmas. And... I listened to that, and suddenly I felt this immense compassion for her because I realized that she wasn't trying to hurt our family. She didn't even know who we were. She had only met me. That's the only one. She didn't know my sister. She had met my mother once. She had no malice towards us. It was what he had told her. The symbiosis that he had created with her was against ours. 
was against our family. And so I looked at her and I was like, wow, he really screwed you over. He really, you know, messed you up. And I felt this compassion for her and for Candy. And I, but I never could bring myself to call them and say anything. I mean, that, that this is so many years ago now, almost 30 years. And, well, it is 30 years. And, um, I just never was able to bring myself, in the time where I had the ability to contact her, I was never able to bring myself to that. So on the off chance that Eve and Candy, you are out there listening, Merry Christmas. Thank you. That was Jan Scott Frazier. The Narrators is produced by Robert Rutherford, Aaron Rollman, Mary Robertson, and me, Ron Doyle. I produce and record the podcast with engineering assistance by Josh Johnson. And our founder and executive producer is Andrew Orvidal. The Narrators podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. The next time you need a photographer, remember From the Hip Photo. You can learn more about their honest and unforgettable service at fromthehipphoto.com. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by Breckenridge Brewery, making balanced, approachable, and interesting handcrafted beers in Colorado for over 25 years. Check them out at breckbrew.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or on your favorite mobile podcatcher. For more information and to find past episodes, visit thenarrators.org. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah.